If you have your Bibles, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, there uh, is a pew Bible before you, and that's page 553, uh, if you would like to join with us, and I hope you would. It's good to see most of you back from last week after we learned all is vanity. I didn't know what today would look like, so I'm encouraged to see even smiles on your faces. Last week, we were confronted with the reality that all that we do under the sun, all the toil, all the labor does not provide for us any net gains. It does not contribute anything that is actually new under the sun. And everything that we do will not allow us still to be remembered. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, which argues that everything is meaningless as it could possibly be meaningless. A quick summary from last week. The setting of our text is what the preacher refers to over and over again as under the sun. And this phrase describes life that is apart from God, life that is void of fellowship with God. It's describing a world outside of the Garden of Eden. And this is a real world that the preacher is describing. In fact, it's the world that we live in. Remember, in the garden, man had perfect fellowship with the living God. But because of our sin, that fellowship was broken in a spiritual sense in that we no longer desire God, but rather find, search to find fulfillment in the things outside of God. But it also breaks fellowship in a physical sense in that we were banished from the Garden of Eden. And Eden is the place that God created so that he could dwell with men. Last week I introduced a term that complements Solomon's idea of under the sun. And that suggestion was that we live east of Eden. East because that was the direction in which we were banished from the Garden as we see in Genesis 3.24. And we see that this life is lived under the sun and east of Eden, and this is where you and I find ourselves today. And Ecclesiastes, in a very raw way, speaks to man's attempt to find happiness or satisfaction outside of the presence and the fellowship of God under the sun and east of Eden. This week, the author sharpens his focus, moving from the generalities of vanities to now personal experiences that he has gone through in his search for satisfaction. And in fact, over the next three weeks, he invites us into this search for satisfaction as we'll look at three major topics that he looked at. Today, we're going to look at wisdom And how ultimately wisdom does not satisfy. Next week we're going to see his search of pleasure. And how pleasure ultimately did not satisfy. And then in two weeks we're going to look at work. And how ultimately man cannot be satisfied in his toil. And we will see ultimately that satisfaction is not produced from these things. But ultimately we find ourselves in a place of despair. Which is where the preacher finds himself today. Now, what the preacher is really looking for, if I could simplify this under the sun, is that he wants to be happy. He's looking for something that will ultimately make him happy. 
satisfied. And we can relate to this, right? We all make decisions in this life attempting to bring about our own happiness. That's kind of how we work on a daily basis. What's going to satisfy us? What will, what will bring meaning and purpose to our life? Augustine, the 4th century theologian and philosopher, deal, detailed his journey to find satisfaction, and it was a long journey, in this huge book called Confessions. And ultimately, he was driven by the idea that all men want to be happy. He said, what is life, or what is a life of happiness, but what all men want? And this drove his search. Now, by God's grace, Augustine ultimately found that happiness could only be found in a link with a relationship with God. But we even see the Greeks sought for happiness and for satisfaction. Aristotle introduced the term eudaimonia, which is trying to find happiness in every virtuous seeking in everything that one does in life. And ultimately, the Greeks had no answer for the, uh, for the searching of happiness. There was no concrete evidence that they could find it. And we ourselves, beloved, are on that same path. Asking why are we here? And considering that while we are here, we want to do it in a happy manner. We want to be happy. We want to be satisfied. And that's where we are. So we, we make decisions based on that. And uh, some of us try to find satisfaction and happiness in materialism. Uh, the more that you acquire, the more that you hope you acquire happiness. And we think these things will satisfy. Some of our closets are full of clothes because we think those clothes will satisfy us. Uh, some of us long for satisfaction in cars and shoes and jewelry and tools and books and sports and all these different things. Consumerism, materialism, is an addiction inside of the place that we live. We have to have this, and if we don't have this, we can't be happy. But ultimately what happens is once we acquire it, it's good for a while, but we continue searching for more. Some of us look for happiness in what's called hedonism. That, that, that's a person who's devoted to the pursuit of pleasure. We're actually going to talk about this more next week, but constantly looking for gratification, constantly looking for entertainment, constantly looking for experiences, living from one high to another, thinking that each of those highs will get us through this mundane life. Like we said last week, longing for the weekend. Uh, maybe you search for happiness as you try to retrieve a, a part of your life that once was. You look back on your life and you think that season of life was so much better. And so you, you search for happiness in thinking about how your life once was. Or perhaps you search for happiness thinking about what life could one day be. Uh, uh, the expansion of your family, a better job, retirement. Wherever you search for happiness, uh, it, it might be different. But each of us are kind of on this, this journey. And whatever path you're on, I, I do want to encourage you, this is nothing to be ashamed about. Uh, we desire to be satisfied in our, in our hearts. This is, this is the pedigree in which God has made us to operate. We just often look for satisfaction, for happiness in the wrong places. 
And that is the reality that we're hit with. All these paths that we walk down ultimately are thwarted. In the first place that the preacher in Ecclesiastes searches for satisfaction in this life, this happiness, is through wisdom, intellect, understanding, acquiring a lot of information so that you can apply it to your life and hopefully find satisfaction and happiness. So the question that I pose before us today is this, can we find enough wisdom under the sun in this life to be satisfied? That's the endeavor. The main point of our text today is simply this. Searching for satisfaction through earthly wisdom will not satisfy you. Searching for satisfaction through earthly wisdom will not satisfy you. Now, let me begin with this caveat that wisdom being discussed in this passage is earthly wisdom. And we're going to unpack that as we work through this text. And here's what I mean by earthly wisdom, kind of two primary reasons I'm saying that. First, this is wisdom that is under the sun or under heaven. That's the location of this wisdom, which identifies for us what type of wisdom it is. It's contrasted uh, from the wisdom that is from above. This is what James talks about in James chapter 3. The wisdom that is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, and full of mercy. This is not that wisdom. This is man's wisdom. The other way we know that this is uh, man-made wisdom is that it does not begin with the fear of the Lord. Solomon says elsewhere that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he does not say that here in our text. So we, we know that this wisdom here is a capacity to understand, to acquire information, and then to apply it, that apply that wisdom, that knowledge in a skillful way as we live out this life. And this, honestly, is the best thinking that man can do. That's the type of wisdom that we're talking about. So uh, first we're going to look at the searcher of this wisdom. Look with me in verse 12. Again, verse 12 recalls again the author that we talked about last week. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. We identified this individual last week as Solomon uh, or someone who was writing about Solomon because we know that uh, Solomon was the son of David as was identified in verse 1. And he is the only one from David who reigned over united Israel. As it says there, he was king over Israel. And this little phrase, have been king, suggests that an older Solomon wrote this because it reveals an extension of time that has passed. And he's about to volunteer a lot of information of what his life as king has been like, which suggests that he's been king for a while as it's taking a long time to amass these things. Now, I want to frame this for us in a helpful, practical way today. Solomon is about to invite us into a journey to explore wisdom as a royal, as a man of unlimited wealth. His net worth today is in the trillions. That, that's how it's computed. It like... Nobody can touch him. Wealthiest man who's ever lived. And as it says in 1 Kings 4, he's the wisest one who's ever lived. The wisest, 
wealthiest king there ever was. Thus, we get to consider and explore what the earth can offer a man of unlimited advantage. That's what we're doing here. And this isn't some hypothetical. This was an actual expedition by Solomon to seek out wisdom. And aren't you glad he did the really hard work for us? Uh, As we search out wisdom on our own, he's gone farther He's gone deeper in all of it. And so it would be wise of us to put ourselves in his shoes. And so we can build trust over the next three weeks with his words and with his definitive outcomes and what he discovered in this expedition. We'll see here in two weeks that what can man do after the king? And that question will be posed to us the entire time that we're in Ecclesiastes. So the greatest king there ever was cannot find satisfaction in this world. Anything under the sun, and beloved, we will not find satisfaction here either. And that is where we are. Now look with me in verse 13 as he kind of sets the parameters of this exploration before us. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. Solomon provides the methods of his exploration right here. We see he applied his heart to seek and to search by wisdom all things. This means he is thoroughly investigating everything. It means he, had, he gave everything to this exploration. He applied all of his mind, all of his heart, all the wisdom that God gave him, all the intellectual prowess that he was endowed with to investigate and explore. Look what it says there in the text, all. Sometimes when we have uh, uh, certain things in our life that we want to apply ourselves at, we say, I really applied myself that semester in bumping up my math from a, a, a D to a C or whatever your, uh, whatever your testimony is. <laughs> but he applied himself fully in everything. And it shows us where he did this under heaven, which is the same meaning. See there in verse 13 is under the sun. So he used all of himself by wisdom to explore every thought, human and divine, all ways man worships, every idea, all systems of agriculture and business and philosophy and culture and architecture and all these things. And he did it all over the sun as he was under the sun. This is where the context is for us today. Now, Magellan, if you guys remember your history, he was a Portuguese explorer, led the first expedition to sail around the world. He circumnavigated the world in 1519 to 1522. And he he discovered some great things. In fact, he he recognized that the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean actually connect. And and, uh, we we call that today the, the Straits of Magellan. This allowed uh, trade to explode as the world was being globalized. So as he came back, he had good news to share. And most explorations have huge discoveries to share with those who sent them off on that exploration. And Solomon's exploration has discoveries as well. But here's the reality. Those, Those discoveries were devastating. 
absolutely devastating. And he provides a summary at the end of 13 all the way through 18. So look with me down there and and notice that he gets right to the point. He does not prolong the reader with the results. He says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's, He's not laying out some false hopes there in this expedition or what he has discovered. He has tried everything. He has discovered everything and nothing satisfies him. And he defines it as an unhappy business that he has been given. And notice in verse 13, who gives him the business? Well, it's God that has given the business to man to search for satisfaction by way of wisdom. This is what he's laying out. It's the first time in the book of Ecclesiastes that God is actually mentioned. And notice that he doesn't mention God as a glorious redeemer. He mentions God as the sovereign one who has given man the task of searching for satisfaction under the sun by way of earthly wisdom. We're going to, get, we're going to pick this idea up here shortly, but the outcomes are laid out further starting in verse 14. We see Solomon's frustrations. He said, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. After searching these paths with wisdom, as he seeks for satisfaction, it turns out that every single path that he went down turned up nothing. Can you imagine driving down uh, every single neighborhood that you ever enter, and there's only cul-de-sacs? You're just constantly going back to the place that you, and it's all vanity. This is what he discovered in all his pursuits. We see that he searched and sought for wisdom in verse 13, and he actually acquired the wisdom. Look down with me in verse 16. He acquired the wisdom. Look what he says. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over me, in, or, or before me in Jerusalem. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is but striving after wind. Solomon acquired the wisdom he sought after. He applied the wisdom he sought after. He learned knowledge and wisdom and madness and folly. Now, Knowledge here, let me explain this before we get real practical. Knowledge here is referring to kind of like a a moral standard. He did everything that was right. Uh, Wisdom is gaining all this information then applying it to his life. Uh, We see these two crazy phrases here, madness and folly, which simply means he tested everything in immorality as well. He, he, he made decisions that he also knew were not logical and wise decisions, which is folly. He tested everything. He tested life in God. He tested life outside of God. Or at least he tested wisdom, and then he tested life outside of God, and he found that it was all vanity. He was chasing after the wind. This man-made wisdom that he applied to search out satisfaction, he couldn't find satisfaction there. And then he tried immorality and he couldn't find it there. And then he chose bad decision-making that went against the wisdom that he had and he couldn't find it there. He was empty at every side. Using wisdom to search for happiness and satisfaction proved 
meaningless for him. Solomon was not satisfied in all the knowledge that he had. And if we could be real honest, very practical, we still live in a world that suggests that knowledge is power. We still ourselves seek after knowing more and more so that we can be successful in this life. Our, our culture has a high value on education. The more you know, the more that you can advance in this life. And, and potentially, the more that you know, the more that this world can advance uh, and, and can be more helpful and productive. But here is the reality. If I could just summarize what this passage is saying quickly. Using knowledge and wisdom to investigate everything that could make you happy doesn't satisfy you. And even having wisdom and knowledge itself, it will not satisfy you. That's, that's the end road in what he is saying. And people came from all over the world to listen to this wisdom that he had. Isn't it interesting, it's ironic, that the one who is sharing the wisdom is not satisfied with the wisdom that he's sharing? He's not helping other, he, he, he's, he's not satisfied with the answers that he has discover, discovered and they are overwhelmed with all that he knows and it's still not enough. And we know that Solomon accomplished so much. We're gonna kind of see this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, he was a genius architect. He rebuilt cities. He started trade for Israel. He, he fortified Jerusalem. He was expert in warfare, even though he wasn't a warrior. He just knew a lot. And it proved to be nothing for him. Beloved, we seek wisdom and knowledge through education hoping to obtain things that also satisfy us. Sometimes these things can be self-focused things, things like success or, or power, notoriety, pleasure, personal value, accomplishing your goals, uh, making sure that you can get all that you want so that you can do all that you want to do, and in the end, it's vanity. Sometimes we try to acquire more wisdom to focus on things that are outside of us, things that are actually beneficial to the society that we live in, such things like cure for diseases, advancement in areas like technology that help the, the, the common causes, causes that men have, the common needs that men have. Uh, maybe you're a teacher and you want to educate uh, your students. Uh, maybe you're a parent and you want to pass down knowledge to your children. Wh whatever it is, and we should want to do these things. Let me just say that. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's going to teach us how to do these things under the authority of God who brings satisfaction. Let me just say, let me just say that. We should want to do these things in advance and to have knowledge. But knowledge and wisdom in and of itself will not satisfy. And everything that it can give you will not satisfy. That's the point. That's the point that he is driving at. And he provides a proverb in verse 15 to help us with this. What is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. No human wisdom can straighten out this path. You cannot straighten what is bent. It's like grabbing a piece of thick iron in your hands, a big piece of thick iron, and trying to bend it. He says it's impossible. You can't do it. 
man with all of his earthly wisdom may one day find a solution for the global food crisis that we have, starvation all over the world. I hope we do. It is possible inside of man-made wisdom to accomplish these things, but every person will still die. Every disease one day may be cured and extend life for a period of time, but at the end of the day, the body will still give out. The Christian knows that these things can ultimately not fix the problem of sin and death that is before a holy God. They cannot fix these things. And fellowship with God alone is what quenches and satisfies the heart. If God's dwelling place is with man, as was established in the garden, we see that we, his creation, those made in his image, are only satisfied when we are with him. The ultimate cure for sick, sickness, death, is Christ. Only God can make straight what is crooked. And this book will teach us that it says what is lacking cannot be counted. It means we, have, we don't have the resources to make it straight. We can't even try to make it straight. Let's simplify for a moment, practically speaking, what human wisdom is. And I, if I could just make it real simple. The source of human wisdom is this innate desire we all have within us to obtain what we see with our own eyes because we think what we see will satisfy us. That, that is how this works inside this world that we live in under the sun. I love Thomas Brooks, uh, a Puritan. He kind of, kind of helps explain what this human wisdom looks like in practicality. He says, Satan draws the soul into sin by presenting this kind of this beautiful bait, but inside the bait is a hook. Uh, uh, Satan presents this beautiful golden chalice, but inside of it is poison. Uh, Satan presents everything to our ears and our senses that is sweet, but ultimately we don't consider the wrath of God that is behind it. We determine what is good and valuable based on what we see with our own eyes and determine what is good. Think back with the garden, uh, to the garden with me. Eve saw an appealing piece of fruit and attached to that piece of fruit all the promises that she would be like God. And she, she put aside God's word that said, do not eat the fruit because you will die. That's heavenly wisdom. That's wisdom from above. But what did she do? She took the fruit with her hands and she ate the fruit with her mouth. And the very heavenly wisdom that was given to her proved true. David saw a beautiful woman bathing named Bathsheba with his eyes. He saw her and he took her. This is man's wisdom. He determines for himself what he thinks is good based on what he sees under the sun. We exchange, here's the reality, beloved. We exchange satisfaction and fellowship with God all the time for pieces of fruit that are offered to us. Promising things that we think will satisfy us. And they might satisfy us for a moment, but they cannot satisfy us. 
They cannot quench the thirst that is deep within our souls. So we make these decisions based on what we see and what we feel and what we think. All all, all these things, all these decisions that we think are going to take away the pain in our life. All the sorrows that are piling up. We think it's going to add happiness and joy and satisfaction and they don't. We look for new sexual orientation because we think that will satisfy us, but it doesn't. Uh, We look for escapism and and wealth and self-promotion, but it's never enough. Uh, we, we, We ask and look and hope for new work promotions, but after five, 10, 15 years, we're still looking for something more. We think we know what is best. And we apply it to our lives. And the end of it is not satisfaction. It's not happiness. There is no remedy for heartache under the sun. You can gain all the wisdom under the sun, just like Solomon did. And it won't solve the problem of evil that we see. It won't solve death, which everybody is trying to extend, get farther away from. And it cannot, it cannot satisfy our souls. Remember, we said, we're going to go east to Eden under the sun with our hard hat and our lunch pail so that the scriptures can do work on our souls. I know it's, uh, it's pretty vexing, actually, when we consider this. And, and notice how he finishes up his section. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation, And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Isn't that so interesting? The more wisdom you have, the more vexation you have. Vexation is simply anxiety, stress, sadness. Uh, The more one knows, the more he increases in sorrows and in griefs. This isn't what satisfies. And yet we still pursue it. Uh, think about the, uh, the older you get, the more you learn, the more you see, the more you see the brokennesses of the world, the more you experience tragedy and, and injustices, the more your heart can fill with sorrow at the brokenness of this world. You've learned more, you've seen more about the world, and the heart increases in vexation and, and sorrow. Er, Ernest Hemingway said, happiness in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. We have never had more information at our disposal than we do today. Uh, Look at all the knowledge and information and advances that we've made technologically. It, it, It is crazy how much we are growing in knowledge and wisdom throughout this world. In 2017, the entire digital universe comprised itself of 2.7 zettabytes. I don't even know what a zettabyte is, but I do know that it is a trillion gigabytes. Now, I've heard of a gigabyte. In 2019, 4.4 zettabytes, 4.4 zettabytes were in the digital universe. And then in four more years, 2023 hours, there's now, it's gone from 4.4 all the way to 120 zettabytes in the digital universe. And in two more years, it's adding 45 more zettabytes. 
And yet there is an increase in anxiety, depression, sorrow, confusion, sin. We see it all around us. My point here is not to say that all the knowledge and wisdom of the world is fully responsible for all the uptick in anxiety and depression. My point is this, as we investigate with Solomon what will satisfy us, we learn that wisdom under the sun will not. Terry Pratchett, who is an uh, English award-winning novelist, said, take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy, and you act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. What hopelessness. That's ultimately where life under the sun takes us. It drags us to. It reveals such heartache and sorrow. Now turn back with me to verse 13. Or look up with me. How about that? Solomon says, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God gives us this unhappy business for searching for satisfaction through wisdom. Have you ever thought about that? That God has given this to man to search for, to find out for himself that he cannot be satisfied with wisdom under the sun. And you might say, well, how cruel is that? I'm actually going to flip the script. I think it's profoundly merciful. It is profoundly merciful. In fact, there's a divine sense to it. Because behind our misery, God wants to drive us to him. He wants us to see that there isn't any hope under the sun, and therefore let's look and be satisfied in our creator because we are untethered to our cre- uh, from our creator until we find satisfaction in him. That's why we are frustrated. That is why we die. This is where life is. So so go back with me to the main point. So if searching for satisfaction through earthly wisdom will not satisfy you, what will satisfy you? What will satisfy you? Well, there is good news, beloved. We aren't just left outside the garden without any hope to return to the garden. Solomon pursued wisdom and found vanity. Solomon, who was a son of David. But there is... Another son of David who came, who provided wisdom from above to show what wisdom actually is. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 1. In fact, we're going to have it so you don't have to turn there. We're going to have it up on the screen. And I'm just going to read the word of God over you. For the word of, for the, word of the cross... Now, please listen attentively to this because this is, this is glorious. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, um, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That is the answer to wisdom that was being searched for in the book of Ecclesiastes. The word of the cross, as it says in verse 18, is folly to the world. But for the Christian, the cross is the center of wisdom. It is the revelation of wisdom because it is the power of God to save. The cross reassembles us back to fellowship with God. But both now, as we exist here in this wilderness, we can have fellowship with God, but also for all of eternity because he's preparing a place for us in which we will dwell with him forever. And we see at the end of the book, and I would encourage you to read ahead, the end of the book, meaning Revelation 22, that the dwelling place with God is with man. And he is making that for us. And the cross is the center part of wisdom that allows that to happen. We see in verse 19 that Christ destroys the wisdom of the wise, the earthly wisdom that is vain. The world does not want the cross. They, they, they don't understand the cross. Who thinks the cross is wise? That's what the world says. And as the world explores for wisdom all over the place, it never, ever ends at the cross. It explores the paths of wisdom everywhere, and it turns out to be vanity. But as it explores the wisdom of the cross, it proves to be actual wisdom. Look in 21, the world cannot find God, but he reveals himself through the word, the word we preach, which is folly, the writer says. We preach, what we're preaching right now is folly to the world. It doesn't make sense to the world, but at the end of the day, man does not go looking for God. God must reveal himself to man. And that is ultimately what he does in Christ. When we preach the word, we preach the word and it reveals to the lost and it reveals to the saved yet again that Christ is the wisdom of God personified perfectly at the cross of Jesus Christ. The world dismisses this as sheer foolishness. But even God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. In verse 27, what God chose to be, uh, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Well, what is folly? That God would die. That doesn't make sense to the, to the, to the man that lives under the sun. 
unless the word is preached and the word opens up the eyes of the lost to see this. And so those who believe, look what is the hope in verse 30, those who believe are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God. So we know what is wisdom and now we know what is folly. Earthly wisdom is folly. Heavenly wisdom that is from above is true, good, satisfying, pure, that allows us to be happy. It brings our hearts to true satisfaction. Oh, there is now wisdom under the sun, and his name is Jesus. There is one who didn't eat the fruit or the food that Satan offered him in Matthew 4, and his name is Jesus. And he is different than any other who has ever been or ever will be. And he stepped out of heaven and entered creation under the sun to reveal true wisdom. And so we live putting our faith and our trust in him. And through Christ, by faith, we are re-tethered to the God who made us to dwell with him in the garden. We are re-tethered to him. This is, this is satisfying to the soul. This is honey to the lips. This makes a man happy who searches for vanities everywhere else but finds that he cannot be satisfied unless he understands this to be the good news. So how do we respond today? Well, put your faith, the first way, put your faith in true wisdom, Christ Jesus. If you've never done that, my encouragement would be to admit and confess that you put your faith into foolish things of this world, things that won't satisfy you. And you know, and you know it. You keep looking and you keep wondering what this is all about. Today, turn and put your faith in Christ who satisfies the soul. Christian, we often if you are in Christ, we often uh, use our earthly wisdom in this life to try to find satisfaction in other things. And my encouragement, my appeal would be to turn to Christ again. Put your faith in him. He alone can satisfy. He alone can be your true joy in this world. Uh, number two, pursue the wisdom of God by walking with God. The good news is this. He graciously and gener generously has revealed himself in this word. He has made himself known. And what is in this word will outlast everything you have ever seen. This is the eternal word of God. And so we read the Bible, not because we're supposed to accomplish our reading plan for the new year, but we read the Bible because we know in it, we will understand what true wisdom is as God reveals himself. And we will also understand the contrast of what earthly and, and man-centered man wisdom is. So pursue the wisdom of God by walking with God. Uh, encourage brothers and sisters to walk with you. Stoke one another in these ways. Number three, pray for yourself and others to recognize the despair of pursuing satisfaction in everything that we do under the sun that doesn't have anything to do with God the Son. We should pray for each other to be miserable, unhappy. 
We should pray that we would recognize this so as in the grace of God, we would be provoked and pushed to find our satisfaction in him. And then finally, we want to point others to God's wisdom found through Christ. Wisdom is always discipling the world. Uh, the world is discipled by what they see and how they should make decisions on base, based on what they feel in that moment. And we need to tell them that the satisfaction they're looking for will not be found, but there is one who's come who can satisfy the soul. We do this in evangelism. We do this intentionally with our neighbors, the places that we work. We are to share the wisdom of God by the preached word so that men may believe and be saved. And then also, like even in discipleship, this is why we meet in discipleship, to point each other back to the wisdom of God. Uh, by Thursday, we're making decisions, right, based on what we see or what we feel or our emotions. And it's kind of our human nature, but God in his provine, provi divine provision for the church, he allows us to gather together to push one another, to remind one another of this gospel, this, this wisdom that has been made known to us through Christ. And that's why we disciple each other. This is why we walk in sanctification with one another. These are the things that we ought to consider today. Solomon searched for these things. Christ has revealed these things to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have given us your word. You have made known to us the wisdom of man, not because we found it on our own, but because Christ has been revealed and we see the contrast between Christ and man-made wisdom. God, would you encourage our hearts to, te to be tethered to Christ? by faith. Lord, we, we know that uh, we, we can operate in this world in a, in a faithful way, Lord, and we'll get to that in the book of Ecclesiastes. This isn't a fatalistic approach to life, but God, searching for true hope, true satisfaction, we know this only in Christ. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.